This week on Missions Today. So if you're questioning something along those lines, it's the Lord's doing something in your heart and you need to pay attention to it. Obedience is what's critical. You know, I, I've had a lot of conversations with people in the past about safety and things of the sort. And truly the safest place for you to be in life is in the center of God's will and pursuing that. And if that's the direction that he's heading you in, you've got to pursue it. Pursuing God's call on your life. It's something all Christ followers must grapple with at some point. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Whether we surrender to full-time Christian service as a young person or follow God's calling later in life, all of us as believers will be asked by the Lord to follow Him down certain paths throughout our lifetimes. As our guest this week just said, being obedient to that call is really the most important step. Jacob Hancock started his faith journey early and along with his high school sweetheart heard the call of God to missions. But like many of us who have walked that path, God had other plans as well. How do we hear that call? What do we do when that season is over and will God be faithful through it all? Those are just some of the things we'll hear this week from Jacob, along with how his current work uses innovation and design thinking to impact missions. Jacob serves as the executive director of Seeds Global Innovation Labs, helping mission organizations determine how best to prepare for the future in a rapidly changing world. Jacob, great to have you on Missions Today. Tell us a bit about your faith journey. I was born into a believing family, uh, two parents that love Jesus with all of their hearts. And, um, you know, of course, our family had our challenges growing up. But in the end, both of my parents just I have two older brothers they did a great job of teaching us to love Jesus at an early age and uh, really setting us on a good course, a good trajectory for ultimately knowing Jesus and loving him and pursuing him with our lives in many different avenues. We're all three very, very different, but yeah, we we all have that, that uh, commonality together for sure. So yeah, I grew up in a normal suburban central Florida area. As I got older, I was involved in youth group worship leader, all that kind of stuff, you know, growing up and eventually found my way to becoming familiar with missions. And eventually my high school sweetheart and I got married and headed to the mission field. Let's go back for a moment to those high school days. You were involved in church activities. You mentioned a worship team, different things like that. Did you contemplate the the idea of being involved in mission or church activity as a career, or was it merely just part of your lifestyle at that point? The church that I grew up in, missions was kind of something that we addressed once a year. It wasn't necessarily a part of the DNA of the church. That said, you know, mission trips, short-term mission trips in particular, were definitely something that our church tried to emphasize to some degree. But the first two times that I ever made my way overseas, I ended up in, you know, a part of Brazil where we were staying in big fancy hotels and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It just was not at all a good picture of what true long-term missions would ultimately end up looking like. So I had a, I had kind of a misguided perception of what missions was growing up. For me, uh, you know, as a high schooler, sure, the idea of missions, that's cool. That's great. But I really had no idea what it was I came face to face with it the year after I graduated high school. I took a short-term trip to South Sudan, and uh, we lived in a remote part for about two months, two and a half months, something like that. I really was faced with what 
global missions is and how difficult it can be, how rewarding it can be, but how difficult it can be. And uh, that was really the first time that the Lord heavily put on my heart, hey, this is something that I think you need to be considering, Jacob, for your life. And quite frankly, I was like, God, I think you got the wrong guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I don't think I'm the right person for this. Um, but yeah, really spending quality time with him ultimately did discover that that was the path that he had for me, at least for that season. Were you involved with your future wife already at this point that you began to feel that tug toward missions? And in addition to that, was she feeling any of that herself at that time? Yeah, we were high school sweethearts. As I mentioned, she was she was 15. I was 16 when we met. So very, very young. We were best friends then and still are best friends now. We just love hanging out together. And so as we got older and we were suddenly wrestling with these questions of like, wow, long-term missions, what does this look like? I'm looking at her and she's like, I think I want to go to India. Meanwhile, I'm like, well, I think the Lord's leading me to Africa. So what's this mean? You know, in short, while I was in South Sudan, the Lord really, the Lord broke my heart for India while I was in Africa. How bizarre. But coming back we both felt pretty confident that we needed to pursue India. I had never been there, so I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. But uh, in the end, I felt like, okay, yeah, let's let's pursue that. Let's see what the Lord does. And going there, visiting several different cities and kind of seeing together what our lives could look like, it was pretty impactful for both of us. And um, she had been to India numerous times. She'd actually even spent six months there after we graduated high school. So she was familiar with it. I just knew nothing about it. Thankfully, the Lord kind of brought our hearts together and put us on that same course to know and love those people. So as you got married, that was the plan then at that point? Basically, every decision that we made after that was targeting South Asia and India in general. It's kind of funny now, like looking back on it, because to fast forward briefly, we were there for five years before we had to come back for a medical emergency. <laughs> when I came back, we were both so confused as to what we needed to do, because basically every decision that we had made since our senior year of high school had revolved around doing missions in India. Well, when you no longer find yourself in missions in India and all the decisions that you've made since high school were around that, you're kind of left with this now what kind of feeling, you know, and it was disheartening. It was uh, stressful. And in the end, ended up being something really special that we did not anticipate. This is not, by the way, the first time I've heard this story about people committing to serve in a certain area and then for whatever reason, God shifting those plans. If you don't mind, talk for a moment about that disheartening and difficult. What process did you all go through as a couple individ and individuals, you know, together to to process that and figure out what was next? I'll start here uh, to give you an idea of how much that India meant to us. When we first joined the organization that we were with, we were required to have one full year of marriage under our belt before we left for the field. So we arrived in India the evening before our one-year anniversary so that our our first <laughs> full day in India was our one-year anniversary. So, I mean, we were just chomping at the bit to get there, wow. you know? So what that really effectively meant was that by the time we got back to the States, our entire marriage really, and we had had two children while we were on the field, our whole family, our marriage 
had been cultivated in India. We had learned how to be married, how to be a family in India. So when we moved back to the States, it wasn't just a matter of like, okay, well, now we have to set up life here. We didn't even know what that meant. We had no idea what life in America now looks like as a family. And so that's where a lot of that stress came from. Additionally, you know, I had studied biblical studies in college. And so short of being a pastor or a missionary, there's not a whole lot that you can do with that degree. And I had never felt like the Lord had told me to be a pastor. And so it it really sent us into a bit of a tailspin of like, whoa, whoa, uh, God, I don't know what you're doing here. But um, the reason we came back, my wife was diagnosed with epilepsy while we were on the field. And by the time we left, she was having two to three grand mal seizures a week, which of course, with two young children was just, you, you can imagine how difficult that was. So when we came back to the States and the first few months was were of course, just trying to get her healthy again and get the seizures back under control and everything of the sort. Once we did accomplish that, then it was kind of, okay, Lord, what do you have next for us? But it required a lot of conversation I remember meeting with a pastor at our church when we came back and he asked me a question that still resonates with me today, which was, I was explaining the whole situation to him, telling him, you know, Hey, every decision that we've made since high school has been, has been revolving around this. I just don't know what God is doing. I don't understand why he's doing this. And he says to me, Jacob, do you think that God just has one plan for your life? And I went, well, yeah, of course. That's it. You know, like this, this was the plan. And now, now he's changing the plan. I don't, I don't understand, you know? And he goes, I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that God just had one single plan that you were supposed to move to India and stay there for all of, all of your life. I think he had something else that he wanted for you in this. And you need to be pursuing that and learning what it is, hearing from the Lord. You know, that really challenged my heart of just, God, am I actually trusting you is my faith deep enough to believe that that you have something even better because he loved India. You know, there's a lot of people that that find India challenging and things of the sort, and it is. It is a hard place, but we loved it. We still do love it. So the idea of no longer having that dream was just really difficult, but it took time and we eventually got there. Thank you for sharing that. Again, I just think a lot of people who are engaged in in mission and in ministry find themselves at a fork in the road where they thought it was going to go one direction and it goes another, and there's just this processing. And I think we need to recognize that that can and does and may happen in our lives and and to learn together, how do we process that? How do we move forward? We can't stop. We can't go backwards. How do we move forward? And so thank you for sharing that, that personal story. So tell us what was next. You just talked about that dilemma. Now, what was next? What did God begin to show you? The next big moment in our life was we had our third child and what a bundle of joy that he was. So we had at one point three under three. That was, wow. Uh, that was pretty <laughs> challenging, but it, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was so much fun. About two years after coming back from India, we had all three of the kids and uh, I'm sitting in my living room one day and my wife walks in and she says, hey, I think we need to talk about India again. Yeah, I'll be fully transparent with you, Colin. I I was pretty upset. You know, I I didn't respond kindly. I was like, no, we're not talking about India. To me, like it, it was, you know, reopening a pretty deep wound. And I just I didn't want anything to do with it. I was like, no, that chapter's over. Well, my wife being the kind, loving, and persistent woman that she is, she just kept coming at it 
hey, we've got to, we really need to talk about this. We need to pray about this. I want you to be praying about this. And I'm like, I don't want to pray about that, you know, <laughs> that old thing. But we eventually did move back to India. Unfortunately, we hit, again, some pretty substantial challenges there. This time, not with health, but with visas. Found ourselves four months after landing there, back on airplanes, flying back to the States. That was probably one of the lowest moments in my life was boarding that airplane to come back. But a big question mark at that point was, okay, God, I've been through this once already. I, I do trust that you've got something else. I have no idea what it is. I'm probably more frustrated now than I ever was before, but I'm trusting you. And that was kind of the big mental shift between the first time coming back and the second time. But in the end, the uh, man, I always get emotional when I reach this part of the story. The reason that God had us come back was um, he had a fourth child for us here in the States that we ended up adopting and we would not have her if it wasn't for coming back to the States. So, you know, as much as I love India and I loved ministering in that place, God was going, Jacob, Melissa, I've got something for you. I've got this precious gift for you back in the States that I can't give you if you're in India. I need you to come back. And um, that four months was really hard. Um, you know, we we kind of opened opened that door again and allowed our hearts to soften once more towards India. So then to come back and and not know exactly what was going on, uh, that was hard. But then, man, the precious gift of our of our youngest Shiloh. There's just nothing in the world that I would trade her for. That's incredible. That's incredible. Wonderful story. Uh- Tell us what happened next. How did you find your way ultimately to what you're doing now? Well, as I mentioned, my my degree was in biblical studies, and uh, now I have four children. And I'm thinking, well, I might need to make a career shift. <laughs> I was working for our organization back here in the States, but quite honestly, I wasn't really working in a role that I felt gifted for. It was more just something that I was qualified to do. I'm I'm not really the type of person to just sit and do a job that I know I can do just for the sake of doing it. I want to be utilizing the gifts that God's given me and things of the sort. So in the end, I decided to pursue an MBA with every intention of getting out of ministry, to be quite frank, but with the hope of no longer being the goer, but perhaps playing a heavier role in sending. And um, so going through that program, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about the passions that the Lord has given me. And the gifts that he's given me. And in the end, I found that he actually wanted me to stay in ministry. And so I did, but in a very different role than what I had been doing in the past, which in short is kind of looking at strategy and innovation for missions organizations globally, uh, helping them problem solve, deal with some of the big challenges that they're up against and um, utilizing the skills that I learned in my MBA program to be able to help offset some of that. So both in my MBA program, but also in um spending a a heavy amount of time training with a specific methodology called design thinking. I want to talk some about that now, but first I want to get some feedback on the organization itself. We've titled today's program Innovation and Design Thinking and Mission, so that's where I want to make sure we at least touch on, but I know your company does that. Tell us a bit about the company and what you all are doing day in and day out. Seeds Global Innovation Lab is the name of our team and 
In short, our goal is to equip the global missions community for the emerging world. Sounds like a lot of insider language, but in short, what we mean there is we want to help missions organizations be prepared to deal with some of the challenges that lie ahead. It's no big surprise that the world is changing faster today than it ever has in history. And as a result of that, missions organizations have to be able to adapt. But at the same time, historically, we're not all that good at that part. And so this is one of those areas that our team has said, you know what, if we can help in any way, that's what we want to do. Whether that's you know, utilizing design thinking, it's a five-step process to help solve a particular problem that an organization is facing, or, you know, something as large scale as helping the executive team develop a culture of innovation within their whole organization and anything in between. So that's what our team does. We utilize those skills, particularly design thinking and, and solving those challenges within organizations that, that they feel need to be addressed immediately. Uh, we don't have time to go into you know case studies, but maybe just at a high level, give us an, an example uh, of uh, maybe you don't even have to name the organization, but just the idea of what you would do with an organization. What, what are they going to go through? What are they looking for? What are you able to provide that mission organization? Design thinking is a five-step process that was, it was popularized by Harvard and MIT and Stanford. In short, the thing that makes design thinking special and the reason that we felt like it would be such a great fit in the missions context is because of the very first step in the design thinking process, which is called empathy. What we're meaning when we say that in design is we need to understand the end user's perspective and have a very clear idea of what it is that they're facing and then solve that problem. Not our perceived idea of what their challenge is or what we believe their challenge is, but let's listen to them and make sure that we're dealing with the right problem. Only when we're dealing with the right problem should we begin solutioning. So the first step is really empathy, just making sure that we understand our end user's pers perspective. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention here as well, one of the greatest challenges that we face in this is actually helping teams figure out who their end user is. I know that sounds silly because it seems like, well, everybody would know, you know who the end user is. It's not always that simple. If you ask you know, large-scale organizations who, you know, who's your end user, it's usually the UPG or you know, the particular people group that the mission is focusing on. Well, the issue there is that you have an advancement team. You have a recruitment team. You have a training team. Well, none of those are focused on the UPG. Who are their end users? You know, they're completely different. So when you look at the problem, you also have to think about who the end user is. And when you identify who that end user is, now we can go gain empathy from them. So that's a big piece of that process that's important. Once, once we learn what problem that they perceive, now we can go through what we would typically look at as the rest of a problem-solving process. Now that we know what the real problem is, we can ideate, we can prototype, and we can test it to make sure that this is going to be the right solution. I love that. And I think you're starting at exactly the right point with that design thinking with the empathy and understanding what the problem is, not what we think it is. And it seems like mission organizations are doing that better today, maybe than they ever have before. Obviously, you all are helping them with that. We're in, running out of time quickly, but just a, a thought about innovation as a standalone. What kind of thing can innovation bring to an organization maybe that's been doing it the same way for so long? For anyone who's really thinking about 
what to do next. There, there's, there was a book that was put out a few years ago called Three Box Solution, where basically it looks at the core of the business, the adjacent components of the business, and then new ideas or like new transformational things. Basically, what they're saying there is like, we spend the majority of our time focusing on the core of our organization, what our what our organization originally set out to do. But because the world has changed, focusing explicitly on the core is actually doing yourself a disservice because there's new areas of opportunity that could still fit within your vision statement of your organization, but you're just missing them because the world has changed. And so when we talk about adjacent opportunities, it's it's opportunities that are still within the confines of your particular area. It's branching into a new a new market or a new people group, you know, however you want to word that. But then the final section is transformational or new ideas where you're getting way outside of the normal day-to-day operations of your organization. This is where I think most mission organizations are missing it, that they're so focused on, on keeping the core together that they're forgetting that there are whole other things that they could be involved in that might be the future of their organization. This particularly is, is relevant when we talk about technology, that there are new areas of opportunity that have never been there for us in missions organizations that we are failing to engage even though we have the resources we we have the competent staff to be able to do these things we're just missing it that's that's so helpful and we're going to link people to uh, seeds global innovation lab on our program and podcast today because we want anybody who's tied to an organization who feels like this process of design thinking, of innovation. It may be time. And I think a lot of us in an organization feel it's time for something new that they would reach out to you and contact you. And, and we'll be sure to connect people there. In in the couple of moments we have left, Jacob, first, thank you for sharing your personal story and for what Seeds is doing. I think it's so critical to the future of missions. There are people listening right now, people who will be listening to this in the days, weeks, months ahead that feel like they've been given a mission or feeling a tug one way or another. You've talked about that tug to India and then a a bringing back to the U.S. and, and a total change in your plan. People are facing probably all parts of that story themselves. They they have a calling somewhere. They have stopped. That calling has stopped. Or maybe they've even been recalled, if you will. Maybe just a word of encouragement uh, about moving forward, about about proceeding faithfully to to follow the Lord in the midst of some of those questions and, and, and intimate details of our lives? I think the first thing is bringing meaning to the word calling. For me, that was something I had to really wrestle through. And for me, I've kind of rephrased that a little bit of a holy discontentment where there's something that doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. And so for a lot of goers, it's like, you know what? I think I want to move to Madagascar and serve the Lord over there. And you're thinking like, wait, what? You're going to leave your nice, comfy life in the States and move to Madagascar? Like, why would you ever do that? It doesn't make logical sense. And that usually has something to do with the Lord stirring in your heart. And so if you're questioning something along those lines, it's the Lord's doing something in your heart and you need to pay attention to it. Obedience is what's critical. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with people in the past about safety and things of the sort. And truly the safest place for you to be in life is in the center of God's will and pursuing that. And if that's the direction that he's heading you in, you've got to pursue it. So there, there's that piece for goers. As far as for many of the rest of us that are senders and, and supporters, things of the sort, 
for us, I think it's really important for us to be taking the skills that God has given us and applying them to the missional context. We all have things that we can offer to the mission field. You know, any business leaders that I've met with that I'm like, man, I'd love to get you connected with, you know, the guy who lives in this country over here who's running a coffee shop that has no idea what he's doing. You know, accountants that are like, I, I don't know how I can use my skills. And it's like, there's businesses all over the world that need your support. They need your help. They don't know what they're doing. You can take the skills that you have that, that you don't have to travel anywhere. You can use those skills in the place that you're at if you go and you pursue it. There are areas for you to help and to support if you get connected with the right groups. Getting connected, such a key part of this work of missions. Let me first thank Jacob for sharing his story today and about the work he's doing right now. If you're part of a ministry or mission agency that needs a fresh look at your mission, your strategies or plans, I want to encourage you to connect with Jacob and his team at Seeds Global Innovation Lab. We'll have that info in our podcast notes today. If you don't fit that category, I pray that you'll take heart with what Jacob shared right at the end of the podcast. Think about your giftings in a missional sense. God can literally use your skills and gifts to help or encourage the missions community without you even necessarily having to leave your home. Pray today about how God might open doors for you to be involved in his mission activity somewhere around the globe. Well, this podcast, Missions Today, is developed and produced by me and my friends at Resource Global to spotlight the leaders and trends shaping the global church and global missions today. You can learn more about it at our website, missionstoday.com. That's missionstoday.com. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to hear about a young lady who's helping to mentor people in business in the heart of Hong Kong. It's so helpful when you subscribe to our podcast, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. Share it with others as well. If you have feedback from me, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, clambert at missionstoday.com. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.